Hey guys, first episode of Obsession Sessions. Uh, my name is Layla, and with me is Dipti. And if you're familiar with Serially Obsessed, we are the two lovely hosts out of three from that show. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we're obsessed with outside of Serial. So we thought, why not do another podcast where we talk about uh, shows and popular culture and just stuff that we're obsessed with in general. And the holidays are a great time to kind of get through all our bingy-ness, right, Dip? Yeah, exactly. And this time around... I think that we can safely say that we have completely engrossed ourselves in making a murderer on Netflix. Beyond engrossment. Um, I've read somewhere that people are saying it's going to be the Christmas that everybody remembers when they binged making a murderer. Like, oh I don't my even, God. Yes. Yeah. I don't yes. know if people will be talking about this in two weeks when the next true crime story comes along, but right now... It is all I can think about. Yeah. So I binged it in fits and starts. um, But I think it is the first documentary in a very, very long time where my mouth was open the whole time. (laughs) And I was um, like yelling at my television the entire time. Lots of people are yelling, I heard. So much yelling. And then it was one of those documentaries where... And this is bad of me because if you know me from Serially Obsessed, you know that I'm like super skeptic critic person. But I think this is the first time where I was like, oh, I'm knee deep in this documentary and I am not questioning like the other side, which is crazy because I mean, the documentary is great, but it is very biased towards um, Stephen Avery. So let's get into it. Um, Dip, you are... A lawyer and this is very much entrenched in the legal yes and i used to specifically be a criminal prosecutor so it's totally up my alley yeah this was like um this was like your christmas present for this sure this is my this is my christmas present i still find criminal law the most interesting part of law that there could ever be this series dropped on december 18 2015 and I heard about it pretty much right away, but not a ton before it. So I I got the hype kind of just right around release time. And then, but I didn't watch it because I was too busy finishing a couple other binges. Um, Which we'll talk about. Probably Transparent is on that list, right? Yes, that and Jessica Jones. Um, So I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell you like what biases I went into going going into it with i i didn't know what it was about i refused to read anything about it because i'm obsessed with going into things like carte blanche in my head me too and um i get really mad when people say even if they say like you have to watch this you're gonna die or it's so upsetting i'm like you just gave something away by saying it's upsetting like i get really upset but um even though i end up doing the same thing so i probably just hate myself oh no okay so i watched like the first half hour of the first episode and and thought how much more can they possibly talk about this is so dense and you know we went through that whole first episode it was pretty long and then it took me a couple days to restart yeah and go into it and then within within two days i was done with the entire series so i basically binged it in two days so okay so let's do like a very quick synopsis of the show 
uh, or the docu-series, I should say, right? Yes. It's about this fellow named Stephen Avery. They live in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Yeah. If I'm, Am I even pronouncing that or right? Manitowoc. Wisconsin, you've got some crazy names. There's like yes. Manitowoc. There's like Oshkosh, I think I heard yeah. at one point. There is. Well, I'm from the Midwest, so these aren't totally crazy to my ears. I'm they shouldn't be crazy to, to my ears either. Like, I'm originally from Long Island. We've got, like, Wanta and Copaig and, like, Quag. I mean, those are oh, things that true. exist. Yeah. So I don't know um, why I'm being all like, these names are hard to say. I'm they're being Wisconsinist. a big jerk. Okay. So before we go super deep into this, um, let's just do a brief synopsis of the show this fella, Stephen Avery, he uh, lives in a very small town in Wisconsin called Manitowoc. He gets wrongfully convicted of a rape uh, and ends up serving uh, 13 years 18. in prison, I believe. 18. 18? 18 years in prison, sorry. And then is in the process of suing the police department i think is that right yeah to the tune of like 36 million dollars or something crazy it's like a big amount of money and it's specifically three named other people in the lawsuit like specifically the da and a couple law enforcement people and so in any case he's about to like embark on this big uh settlement and this other woman turns up dead and he is essentially accused of that crime along with his cousin, who is apparently an accomplice. But the whole docu-series uh, sort of paints it as as if he was possibly framed by the very people that Stephen Avery was supposed to be suing for his original wrongful conviction of the rape. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. I just want to add that it's his nephew, not his cousin. Oh, that's right. His nephew. So, so sorry. Uh, right. I mean, um, he's probably his nephew and his cousin. I mean, <laughs> oh, guys, no, it's possible. guys, listen, I, with all due respect to the Averys, I feel like there's a lot of cross branching on that tree. If uh, you catch my drift there, there might be. Do you yes. know that uh, Stevens ex-wife, Lori, who was the mother of his children when he first went to prison? And when he was in for the cat and stuff. Do you know yeah. who she's married to now? Oh, my God. Please I mean, tell they me. might be divorced, but, like, do you know? I mean, you're going to die. No, she, I'm going to die. I'm, like, super excited to hear who this is. She's married to... She's okay. married to Brendan's that, I mean, dad. I am... Yes, I'm floored, but I'm also not surprised. Because I feel like if you stay in that town, you've got to eventually go in, like, a fuck I mean, circle, right? It is... It is Stephen's <laughs> ex-wife married, like, what, what? Like, she married a cousin of her ex-husband. Right. Listen, it's, that's like small town loving. That's what happens. I mean, there's like no direct relation. Steve, no, him. okay, here's the thing. Stephen's sister is Brendan's mom. Correct. So her ex-husband married... I mean, we should. This discussion is absurd. <laughs> it's true, it's, it's true. so absurd. We it's shouldn't true. even bother. But the We're point gonna is, get very confused. What a, what a town. Um, what a town. Although, okay, can we just say this? And this is a thing that I pointed out to you, Dip, when we were watching the show. Um, this town is very, very small. But the one thing that I absolutely love is that anytime we're in a courtroom scene, at some point, 
people <laughs> people are sitting in their little like um I don't know what do you call that area Benches. dip is that like where the audience sits that's what I call it I'm calling it's, it it's the called audience a bench area. it's not a pew it's a bench even for like people who are just viewing the courtroom scene yeah the bench is the judge right like the, where it's, the judge sits well if you if you want to approach the bench you're approaching hey guys i'm a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> if you want to approach the bench you're approaching the judge it's not really like approaching uh a bench you're gonna sit on no no know? of course of course of course but we the, all get where that. the audience sits those are benches right so if i just come in because i want to watch like i want to watch some trial i'm right. sitting on the bench right and that area is called the bench as well. No, it's not called the bench. They're so what? Called, it's called. So what is that area called? It's called the benches. <laughs> Very I feel like technical. You just have a better name. Just Very like technical. call it the oh. audience or something. Anyway, and, in these particular courtrooms, um, they had little quilts. I missed that on the benches, uh, and I loved that. I also loved watching uh, Stephen Avery's parents almost falling asleep during the cases. <laughs> Oh, and I can't really blame it, them. I'm sure it's like so long. It's so boring. And so, yeah, I mean, you're just getting the snippets of like the really good parts in right. this docuseries. Uh, but yeah, I mean, anyone who's watched like hours and hours of court TV. It's beyond. And and being a former uh, prosecutor and doing things like this, like in grand jury, we'd have to give the all these jurors charges that they would have to contemplate. And I would have to read all the instructions for them and the definition of each charge. And I would stand up there myself and be (laughs) bored reading it and look at them and feel so sorry for them because it is so (laughs) boring. Okay, so this is like a really good question that I have for you, I think. Um, Why aren't courtrooms more fun? (laughs) <laughs> I know that makes I'll you sound you. like no. Like oh, I know that makes me sound like dance. a big dummy. But let me tell like, you why don't. <laughs> and you were laughing about this before because I made the analogy of like why aren't more courtrooms like my cousin Vinny? Literally, <laughs> like, so you just have like this New York lawyer that comes in <laughs> and like tells it straight to the jury. You know. So Layla and I, Layla was behind. Well, at first she was ahead of me on it, and then she fell way behind, and I right, been hard. Up. And so Layla is literally live messaging me her reactions to (laughs) a handful of episodes. Yeah, because I just wanted you to catch up so that, you know, I was like, I have so many questions. No, I was already done. You were just like, this is how I feel right now. Oh, my God. And you were just like blurt out these things. And one of the things you blurted out is. Why can't they cousin Vinny it? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Because we were talking about juries and stuff. And I'm like, Layla, that's a Hollywood movie. I know. And I'm fully aware that it's a Hollywood movie dip. I just, I just do. Sometimes I wonder, like, why? I mean, okay, it's a jury of 12 that's in the box. They're made up of, uh, you know, laymen, right? Like, people typically who are not in the legal system, uh, or are not law enforcement types. Not necessarily. Um, not but... necessarily, but I feel like more often than not, it's probably people who are mm, not as... In tune with the law? Not as in tune with the law, right? Like not hyper-legal literate, let's say, right? Okay. Not that they're stupid. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying, like me, where I'm just like, oh, okay, I know a little bit about the law, but like not a lot. 
And then I'm going to have to be like really paying attention so I can, right. uh, you know, understand what these big like legal words mean and those kinds of things. So even in parts in this docuseries where uh, we're seeing my lovers, uh, Dean Strang oh, <laughs> and, Jer- and Jerome too. Bunting, legal heartthrobs of 2015, intro oh, yeah. 2016. Yeah. But there are moments where like they're they're presenting uh, their case. And in my mind, I'm sort of like translating it into layman's terms, even from what they're saying. And it's not like they're making it hyper complicated, but it's just like, I just have to take a moment to be like, what they're saying is this in regular layman's talk. So you're translating it in your head. I'm like dumbing it down for myself. Right. Okay. Let and me... I don't think I'm a dumb person. Right. I just think I just need it to be like simplified. Right. I don't think that you're dumb either. Thanks, uh, Dip. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I will tell you, this is the best response I can give to that. And it isn't a dumb question. I mean, people can ask. <clears throat> There's dynamic courtroom lawyers. You hear about them and everyone watches Law and & Order and there's drama and stuff like that. Um, but the reason is that like the best trial attorneys know how to not speak in legalese to a jury. But at right. the same time, you have to preserve a record for appeal. So what I mean by that is you have to make sure that the evidence that's going to be admissible, that it's all put in properly, which is really boring, putting in exhibits. They didn't show any of that, um, nor should they. You would not watch the series that's probably also when it's probably when they took shots of like the parents falling asleep because it is (laughs) so painful or or um you know making someone to prove that they're an expert witness it's just it's beyond boring so um but you it has to go in the record meaning the transcript because when you appeal something especially cases this big they're always going to be appealed it has to be on a question of law So all the evidence has to be in there and you have to create this theory of law based on what's in the trial record that the judge misruled on something. So if you don't put everything into the record meticulously and properly, then you can screw up your appeal. Because, you know, you may be trying to persuade the jury and everything, but you can only dumb it down so much. And you're just going to have to accept that you're going to be bored for a little bit because... Because the trial record is the most important or one of the most important parts right. of this. Obviously, convincing the jury is the most important part. But So dumbing could- it down just becomes difficult in terms of like then ringing it back in through the legal system if and when you need to for an appeals. Right. I mean, if you, yeah, if you, if you don't say certain things or the right proper things or properly put something into evidence, then it doesn't. Come in, then it's not in evidence. They can rule like this wasn't properly submitted. And and there's these things that you have to go through, um, whether it's testimony that you're admitting or uh, the handgun that was used or this or that. Right. Um, a lot of things are so controversial to be admitted into evidence that that's why they have hearings before a trial. And you make arguments about why the, the handgun, let's say, um, that was used in the commission of this crime should be... Um, into evidence and if the judge rules that it wasn't properly seized or something like that 
um, then the gun doesn't come in and you probably don't even have a trial. And so then you don't even go into trial. So these, so what my whole point is, these tiny little things that are so freaking boring to a jury are essential still to talk about. I mean, you can have pizzazz when you're direct examining your, a star witness or someone. You can, it can be super interesting when you're cross-examining a character witness because you're really more dynamically talking to somebody. And that's, right. you can like catch them, you know, and see them kind of falter. There were so many moments where you saw our heartthrob defense attorneys, Strang and Buting or whatever his name is, Jerome, um, or what? he goes by Jerry. I'm but sorry, Jerry. Jerry. And I think he speaks Italian because I have been hmm. stalking his Twitter. And he uh, speaks in Italian on Twitter? There's a couple of tweets that he does in Italian. And I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> Watch <laughs> out, Jerry. I don't know if you're yeah. married. Um, I think they're both married. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I want, I almost want, sorry, I'm going to go through this like mini <laughs> tangent. But I, I can only imagine like they're. You're just you're just like a regular lawyer. You take on this case and then this documentary comes out and all of a sudden you're like America's sweethearts. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sure it's got to be so crazy. Like, I'm convinced that there's at least a good chunk of people who are like, I'm going to go to law school just because they saw their performance in the well, courtroom in the middle of serial season one you were considering law school i was i was like this is it i'm gonna do it you guys that was so funny i fall in love with things very quickly and then well, I, I fall out of love just as quickly yeah so. you're a very fickle lover i'm a very yes i'm a very fickle mental woman. lover um uh during the documentary the exciting courtroom points i mean there's like what a solid at least three episodes where it is literally just courtroom courtroom stuff yep that's true and you as a layman did you find that interesting or did you have to like struggle through that to me it was riveting the whole time uh okay so i will say that as a person who does watch a lot of law and order um and obviously got really into serial um yeah i don't know i found it kind of interesting i I love watching courtroom procedures because oh, I kind of love watching a debate happen. So right, like, like I kind of just love part. Yeah, like the interesting parts like, oh, those cross examinations where they're just like, um, you just basically said this thing and I'm going to convince the jury that like basically you just like lied on the stand. Right. Like, um, oh, God, the way they handled um God, what's her name? The woman with the crazy hair who was like... The lab person with the 1982 hair? Yes. Their handling of that witness to me was like, ooh, this is riveting. Like, this is the part that gets really exciting because it's literally like, I'm going to try and catch you in a lie live while you're standing under oath, right? Like... Right. I mean, I can only imagine that if I'm a lawyer doing that, like, you must have such a hard on doing that, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? Because it's just like, I'm going to verbal gymnastics you into getting yourself trapped in your own deceit, you know? It's like a, it's a cross-examination boner. 
It is a cross-examination boner. By the Do way, you guys, is that what you lawyers call it? Like, no. when you guys are all done with a case and you're drinking, you're like, oh, cross-examination boner today. Ooh, ooh. I mean, nobody has ever said that. <laughs> By the way, that woman's name is Sherry Colhane. Oh, thank you. Sherry. Sherry, Sherry seems like Even the, the name. right name for yes, her hair. Exactly. I guarantee you Sherry still has that same hair. Oh, yeah. That was 07. Because she had it even earlier in the series. And I remember just looking at it and thinking, is this for real? And then she came in again on a later episode. And I had to, like, pause my Netflix and take a still shot. Because it was unacceptable. Her hair. Yeah, I mean, it was probably exciting because... Unlike Law and Order, when they catch someone and they get that, like, witness boner, the courtroom boner, like, on Law and Order, they say, and you knew that they didn't kill him or whatever, you know? Right, right, right. But, but in a courtroom, like, you stop at that. Like, the jury has seen that the person just shot themselves in the foot. And you right. just, like, stop Or that's just what short. you hope that the jury has seen. Correct. Hopefully they're not asleep by all because the other Because I feel like stuff. it would be a lot more clearer if lawyers could, again, my cousin Vinny it or <laughs> like law and order it and just be like, it was you. Right. And then just do a point to the, you know, to the guilty party. And then the jury, they but all gasp. Do you know why they don't? Because, because... The person's going to respond back and be like, I mean, and then there's going to be all these objections. Like, you just leave it. <laughs> you just stop. And you're like, I hope mic you Mic drop. I, you literally you do literally, a legal mic drop. That's, a, that's what we call a legal mic drop. I mean, that's actually not a term either. People are going to be like, she's not a lawyer. <laughs> Guys, these are all terms that you should embrace. Yeah. I mean, they're like layman's terms for things that you do. Legal yeah. mic drop. Cross-examination Cross-examination boner. Cross-examination boner. Sorry. Yeah. Cross-ex boner. Yeah. <laughs> Cross-ex boner. We have a new vocabulary, folks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's why it's boring. It's just because there's just some proceedings that have to be in the record. And also, most of the law is boring. Even, like, when you're at your desk, it is not fun writing these sure. briefs and you don't show that because it's so boring you know right um and also i think one of the things that we forget and also a thing i kind of brought up when we were talking about cereal um guys also if you're into cereal the podcast don't forget to check out cereal um yeah so i feel like these specific cases are so riveting because they're so like they're anomalies right like this is just a case with so many weird tangents and yeah. like subplots and like all these things that are just, it's not like you're cut and dry, like, yep, he raped her, see you later. Right. Like, no, I mean, even Ken, uh, Ken, what's his name? Oh, Kratz or? Yeah, Ken Kratz, like, then he gets accused of like sexting with his clients. No, I mean, it was literally with. A oh. victim in his office right. who he was protecting, like, or she was the victim of a rape with fresh bruises. I mean, it's, I don't it's like. A, it's insane. It is insane. And then, and then you have, like, Brendan Dassey's, like, one of his, like, original uh, attorneys who 
was clearly oh, not. We need like, to spend some time on him. Such crazy, ineffective use of counsel. I mean, this guy was literally like, yeah, the, you want to say he's guilty? Yeah, let's make him guilty. Okay, Layla, when you were watching those early episodes, yes. I'll tell you where what my mind was thinking after you tell me what your mind was thinking. Uh, this is about Len? Yes. So, okay. first of all, I hate that name. Yeah, I don't really know anyone named Len. I don't think I know anyone named Len either, but I feel like uh, I don't like that name. I don't know if I don't like that name because of this new Len character, but... Well, now it's evil to me. Now it's evil to me. Yeah, that's right. So when they first brought him on and you saw that ridiculous permagrin on his face, did you notice that permagrin? Like, what were your... Did you immediately dislike him or Um, what, what? I will tell you that I immediately kind of... Uh, I immediately did not feel comfortable about him because it seemed like he took on the case in an effort to, like, for political gains. Yeah. Right? Because, and I think they briefly mentioned that Mm -hmm. in the docuseries, right? That he was, like, he was, like, up for some sort of... He literally had just found out he lost, and then he smiles, and he said, so when they called me to take the case, I took it. And I'm like, why is he smiling? Like, he just said he lost an election. Why is he smiling like that? And then I thought, oh, the DA's office, or I don't know who exactly it was, the county, a a political authority, like a governmental authority, let's say, asked him to do it. And he just lost an election, which was for the government. So... It's like, oh, he was doing someone a favor or something. So you, so after everything that we saw, to me, I'm like, yeah, he was totally in cahoots with. Right. I mean, and, and then, of course, like, in his defense, even though, like, I don't want to defend Lynn, but, like, there is that scene that they keep showing over and over and over again in the docuseries where it's, like, him talking to uh, Ken Krantz. And they're, like, exchanging some sort of information, but it's in a very, like, collusion-y kind of a way. I don't remember that like, part. Yeah, I mean, oh, I don't know how you don't remember it. They show that shot at least, like, ten different times throughout the series. But they're, like, by some elevators, and they're sort of like, uh, we're sinister oh, and, like, yes. trading information. Totally. The elevator yeah. is making me ring the bell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I mean, those are things that, like, I don't know, as like a media critic person, like those are things that to me stick out. Like, why are we seeing this scene 10 times? Right. I mean, because like, granted, these people are like, I mean, they've done shady stuff, but it's also because you are in a very like lawyerly way appealing to me, the jury, i.e. the audience yeah, um, to be like, yeah, this is what we're trying to paint. Like, these guys are baddies. They were obviously in some sort of collusion and like you should not feel sympathy for them. Um, and we're going to show you the scene over and over and over again to illustrate that point. You know, that was very much so on purpose on the documentarians part. They get criticism from Kratz, the asshole, and from anyone else with some other theories on it. But I don't think about their point of view as until I'm kind of in to whatever the documentary is for a while. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then it was maybe like three episodes in, I suppose, where I finally was like, oh, now I see these pointed things. I see repetitions of certain scenes like the one with um len and kratz or krantz whatever right because at that point i i was very upset about everything going on 
But I still didn't know if Steven did it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even after episode four, and this is the problem when maybe Stephen Avery, even though I'm so upset about everything going on, still did do it. But by episode five, we're straying and buting. When they came into my lives, like really hardcore, I was just, yeah, I had, I had no doubt in my mind the second half of the documentary that Stephen and Brendan were innocent, even though now after finishing it and reading all this outside stuff, I want to discuss some things. I'm not so sure about a couple things, but um, the last half was so emotional for me. Well, first of all, I loved the courtroom stuff. I just they, they spoke so eloquently and I thought not in legalese and nice, like nicely. And they truly believed in Stephen. And I mean, one attorney was like on the verge like, of tears. And yeah, I mean, it's got to be super hard for them. It, like, there's points in which they're doing interviews, like these cutaways with them. And it's just, it's got to be so harrowing, like, knowing that you've got all of this, just not having enough evidence to convict right, Stephen Avery of this second crime, right? Like, right. he's already spent 18 years in jail for something he didn't do. And now here he is being convicted of something else that's going to put him in for the rest of his life with no parole, with no possibility of parole or early release. And there's really no concrete evidence that illustrates that he did do it. And so, like, I just have to imagine that, like, as a lawyer, you're probably like, my profession is flawed, right? Like, it's got to be this huge, like... And it's all in your hands, Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, it's interesting at the end, uh, towards the end of the documentary, this entire thing is spoiler alert. But if you haven't, if you have still haven't finished it, stop this now and go finish it. But it's so sad to hear him at the end when the, uh, so the lawyers, so the lawyers, the documentarians go ahead and they grab all of the lawyers. um, So it's just like a Stephen Avery lawyer reunion. (laughs) And party. Fun reunion. And at one point, Dean says, he's like, you know what? I almost kind of wish he did do it. Because just the idea that this man spent 18 years of his life serving for a crime he didn't commit. And now he's doing it again. Like, what a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of true. It's like you almost kind of wish like, all right, fine. Like, maybe there wasn't enough evidence to convict. But like, let's just maybe... If he, in fact, did not commit that crime, ugh, this guy's life is just, what did he do? Like, if you are a person that believes in, like, reincarnation and past lives, like, what did he do to deserve such a shitty deck of cards? God, I don't know. But, so, let's talk a little bit, now that we've kind of mentioned that about some of the post and this won't be a thing that happens for every show this is just a very specific thing for this particular docu-series of um the rebuttals to the documentary sure let's start off with first who the documentarians are so it's this couple who met in film school yeah they were in film school at Mm -hmm. columbia together and one of them was a lawyer the other one was worked in film like maybe as a pa or something like that and Uh uh so they in 2005 decided to check out this case 
And first of all, I think it's awesome that two women made it. And I kind of feel bad saying that I'm pointing out that two women made it because why couldn't two women make it? But um, no, but, but I it, think it's always cool to be proud yeah. of like, oh, this is a thing that was that was good. And like ladies made it. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know. I think it's I think cool. it's great that these two crime things were made by oh, women. Women love true crime. That is oh! a running theory of mine. <laughs> oh, women no. love true crime. And now we've just insulted women again. <laughs> No, I don't think it's an insult. I think it's a thing that women like. So I think women like true crime. I, is it just for women? No, I just think for whatever reason, I think women like true crime. Yeah, I've, I think I've, it's just because I don't. I mean, I don't know. I've I have a multitude of readings. Understood that generalization, but I'll let you. It's, it's not a fine. generalization. I can show you like ratings numbers for things like Discovery ID, which is mostly true crime stuff. Like their demo is women. But anyways, and I know that's not what we mean. Um, so, uh, because they were seemingly, like, kind and not super invasive, they got inside access to the the Avery family. So we got to really see how close-knit the family was. And, um, right. Which is, which is something that some people might think worked against Stephen, um, I think, in the first rape trial. Because the all fact that the family was so insular? Because they were all his alibis. Ah, uh-huh. And so a lot of times family will lie for family. Um, sure, of course. So anyways, because we got that insight into their family, before we go into the rebuttals, I just want to say that from the beginning, I was like obsessed with Stephen's mom. There was just something about oh, man. her. Dolores for life. I mean, really? Like, this woman, honest, and her and her husband, and too. Her I husband. can't remember and his name. They were, they were like, funny. Like, sometimes they'd crack jokes. They they found humor in certain they things. They found humor like, in, in, like, what is most likely. I mean, that's got to be so yeah. dark. Oh, I mean, like, imagine your son is put away for. Right. Whether you committed it or not. Like, your reputation is now completely tarnished. Like, there's no way. I mean, even when he comes out, like, he's trying to do a little bit of, like, rebranding and, like, kind of uh, assimilating himself into society. But it's like, ugh. I mean, at this point, it's like nobody in the town really looks at you right, despite the photo ops that you have well, where you're hugging the mayor, you know? There was uh, one of the articles you might have read that talked about a little bit his time in between his prison terms and you know between 2005 and 2007 and it was actually pretty difficult for him to adjust and he um wanted to live in a small place because everything was too large and open for him and his family fought a lot okay and then in the last episode oh where he takes her to the garden and he like starts talking about how like delicious kohlrabi is Oh, no. That was towards I, the end. I was thinking... I lost were... it at the Kohlrabi. <laughs> I lost it at the Kohlrabi tour. I really <laughs> did. No, that that was sweet. I was thinking more when they a, were I couldn't take walking... It. When they were walking to the prison. And they were holding each other's hand. And they were just like... I, like, I had such a oh, lump in wait, my it's throat. like with Steve and Sandy, Stephen's new girlfriend. Okay. Layla, I was... <laughs> <laughs> just opened up that can of worms. So, if you want to know something about me, um, I get really... <laughs> what would be the adverb? Uh, surprised or... 
like shocked a bitter or no oh you get bitter i think you get a little bitter about it i don't want to say bitter you said bitter and i'm like all right i'm just gonna not, have to okay. back you it's up not bitter. the correct I'm adjective saying, is bitter i'm saying bitter as a joke to make you laugh but the fact that there are prisoner groupies yeah. i'm just like oh, how on earth does that happen and it is such a thing it's a thing. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be good if we could get a prisoner groupie guest. Um, <laughs> I, because yeah, I am, I'm oh. really intrigued about like, what is it about falling in love with someone who you cannot have physical contact with? Because I, I feel like there's so much there, right? Like, there's got to be some sort of very deep maternal aspect to it um, where you're, you know, yeah, or maybe there's like an like a like an intense closeness. Maybe they feel like it's not marred by the physical, right? Where it's like, yeah, like I love you and you love me because I'm writing you letters and you're writing me letters and like there's no one else to distract you from your love other than me. Like you have hours and hours, you meaning like right. you the imprisoned person. Right. Have hours and hours and hours to spend on loving me because you have yeah. nothing else maybe they, they have want, nothing else to focus on they want right? they want to be the subject of that love maybe they i think so i mean I, listen i'm just okay you spitballing know, here you know right but I'm, it's like i'm Googling i'm just trying this. to put myself in like the shoes of a person that would be like if i were to love a prisoner i think the thing that would be the appeal to me would be that out of their entire day, it, they're probably thinking about me and then they're writing me letters. Like, it's just a lot of adoration because there's Oof. nothing else going on. They don't have a job. No. You know, they don't I have, like, not, outside. I would you know. not want to be thought about that much by anybody, like, ever. Um, I know, think like, some, I think that's a, that, I'm, that must be the appeal. I mean, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm guessing, I'm guessing. I have to, I have to make a note to self. I have to Google prisoner groupie psychology maybe you do like i think in sandy's case she must have obviously heard about the case right well i'm thinking layla maybe am i am i like talking myself into being a prisoner groupie i can talk myself into anything i'm talking about something that i know you want to talk about and it's um i'm thinking Maybe she saw a photo of him from the early 80s. <laughs> okay, Dip. You opened up this can of worms, so let's talk about it now. All right. So, Young Stephen Avery okay, with so his little beanie hat. Layla was like, get on the show. Start the show. Start the show. <laughs> I'm like, fine, I will. It's just I have to finish these other shows, Layla. Get off my back. Um, So we're just messaging this. And my first message to you... After I had started it. Right. Was, I think you almost started it like, is it wrong if I... And then all I said was like, ha, 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 because I knew exactly what was happening. <laughs> is that... Pre- Dip might have been uh, attracted to a young Stephen Avery. Oh, God. And, like, in looks alone. I'm not saying you're attracted to his personality. I'm just saying he's like a scruffy blonde guy wearing... A ski a- hat. A ski hat. If you put a guitar in his hand, he would have looked Seattle a little bit grungy. like Ty Siegel. Yeah. Oh, like Ty Siegel. Like Ty Siegel. He would have looked. Who is a singer I am obsessed with? And okay, sorry, that sounds creepy. He is awesome. Ty Siegel's great. He had scruff, and he had this like 
longer hair and he was wearing a right. ski hat and he was young. I did not know that he went to a slow school. <laughs> you didn't know that he burned a cat. I didn't know that he lit a cat on, doused a cat in gasoline and then lit gasoline it on fire. Gasoline and then lit him on fire. Ugh, ugh, ugh. All I Listen, saw was I didn't judge you, Dip, because I knew, I was like, <laughs> it's not that she's in love with Stephen Avery, the person. She's just in love with guys that look like a little scuzzy. <laughs> yeah, like scuzzy and grungy. Like, if you could pick Dip up and transport her to, like, 90s Seattle, I'm sure she'd be, like, hell-bent on fucking everything that was male at the time. (laughs) Right? Is that a fair assessment? I would have had a lot of crushes. This is true. Right. Um, So uh, maybe she saw an early 80s picture of Steven and was like... (laughs) I don't know. Maybe she did. I just feel like I'm sure Sandy, like, she probably saw the news. She was probably like, this guy is being wrongfully convicted. No. I mean, because she didn't know she was falling in love. She didn't know she was falling in love. No, she was just writing him letters, just being like, hey, keep on, keep on trying. Like, you'll, like, hope will keep you alive. Like, just nice little whatever and, and her then her husband literally said her, oh her husband died yeah go ahead yeah her husband had passed away from alzheimer's and then her friends were like um you're pretty much in love with this guy you yeah. do realize that yeah. right and she's like oh uh, go what and then didn't so, he say in his oh his accent like of course <laughs> i don't i can't talk yeah about he's him. like oh he's like you haven't felt that same way too or whatever and yeah so then they started dating and it's or, just yeah. So bizarre when you like have a crush on someone, you develop feelings or whatever. Can you imagine being in a position where you're in prison, but at the same time you get to think about this crush? I can't imagine the, that duality in your brain. Like, I mean, that's that I think that that's what I think brings back to like my thing, right? Is just like if I as a lady falling in love with a prisoner then I then I have to imagine like, oh, they're thinking about me all of the time because like what else is going like if I'm if I'm in love, if I fall in love with someone now, it's like, oh, great, I'm in love with you. But like now I'm at work and I'm not thinking about you right now. I mean, I might think like right. you might pop into my head. Right. But then it's like, well, OK, work. And then after work, I might go to the gym. And then after that, like I come home and I'm cooking. So it's like I'm doing things. Where, like, yeah, you might, like, enter my mind, like, sometimes fleetingly. fleetingly. Yeah, like, in a fleeting way. But I'm not, like, sitting in a jail cell, like, doing nothing else but, like, thinking about Sandy again. Like, wonder what Sandy's doing. (laughs) You really nailed his mindset there. It's like, what? uh, I wonder if Sandy's uh, making a chocolate chocolate loaf for me. (laughs) Right. It looked like zucchini bread. It looked like, I don't know what it was. Banana bread, maybe. Like, I wonder if Sandy's picking up my parents or if they're going to drive caravan, come visit me. You know, like, his relationship with his parents just, like, he loves them so much. Okay, let's... And they love him back. They really do. It's... If there's any, like, absolute definition of a parent's undying love for their child... That's it. It is... Steven's mom and dad. I mean, yeah. holy shit. Like, through thick and thin. I mean, you see Steven girl, Steven's girlfriends, like, kind of come and go. Like, the first right. one kind of hightails it out of there. As Wait, soon as, like... Let's also say, like, he's he's in prison for so long and always 
targeted by the police and yet he still gets girlfriends but anyways <laughs> this Jesus. is that's you being bitter again yeah <laughs> um but yeah like the first the first girlfriend hightails it when he's wrongfully convicted and in jail i mean they are sending each well, other that's his some, wife that was his wife but they are sending each other some really nasty life, letters. life threatening letters okay yeah, so he's basically writing like i will kill you he, not in basically like, he said i will kill you yeah, he. That's what he wrote. So wait, can we get into? Um, okay, so this is part of the rebuttal sort of stuff. Um, before we yeah, on, we need on, to get into tangents. that now because we said we were going to get into it. And now twenty yeah. minutes has elapsed. So some of the rebuttal stuff brings out things that the documentary didn't show about Stephen's life, which was more violence, more right. rapey stuff. More yeah, which is like it's not stuff. evidence to whether or not he murdered Correct. Teresa, but it is. Towards, like, character. Right. Like, towards his character, right? Right. Now, this stuff was not introduced at trial. Whether, the, I don't know if the prosecution tried. I don't know what, I'm sure they tried. But what what they were allowed to and not allowed to bring in, I'm not exactly sure. I don't, uh, you'd have to look at the, the preliminary hearings, I guess, um, transcripts. But, so there's a lot of stuff out there. Let's call it hearsay for now. But, um. About Stephen being very violent. Like, he has assaulted people before. He has threatened to assault a lot of people before. He has been rapey towards women. And um, he might have threatened rape before, or he... But I don't think that he ever actually did. But there's, I think, more than one allegation of him... No, there's, there's a ton of his sexual misdeeds. So potentially molesting his nephew Brandon and right. Brandon's brother and inappropriately always showing his penis to them and stuff. And then um, uh, what were what were some other things? He There was that other oh, one where apparently he had like answered the door several times. And this is like very specific to the Teresa Halbach case, who's the oh, right. woman that was raped and murdered that he's now serving time for. Um, but there was that piece of information saying that, one, that she had requested to no longer go by the Avery household to take photographs of the cars because on a previous occasion, um, Stephen had answered the door wearing nothing but a towel and she right. was a little skeeved out by that. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, there was another thing where... Um... They had found some leg cuffs at the at his at oh, Stephen Avery's he said, home. He said him um, and Jody that wanted... they were like, "What are these leg cuffs about?" Right. And he was like, "Oh, it was just because me and my girl were trying out some new like sexy Dungeons and Dragons sex, yeah. but like fet life stuff. You know what I mean?" Um, yeah, um, I'm sure yeah. they do. But yeah, so uh, and then so there was also this transcript that was found on some Reddit thread between Brendan and his mom. Where he says, well, you know that he would do those things to me and my brother. And and this was this candid conversation, sort of. Well, who knows how candid it was. It was recorded. But um, you just got the sense, if you, if you read all these extra things, which read them or don't, I don't know. But I'm just telling you that you I mean, you I think get- you should read them. That way you just have like an, uh, like helping you get an unbiased view of you know, because here's the thing. OK, I'm going to say this really quickly. Like I had to start hiding a lot of people on my Facebook feed just because 
everyone started posting all these like sign this petition to free Stephen Avery and I was like oh I'm not yeah and I like I wasn't I hadn't finished watching the doc yet right so I didn't want that like marring my right viewing of being like oh yeah he's completely like innocent right um and I think even after you watch the documentary uh I think you you should still like go look at outside sources just so that I don't know because like everything has its bent right like so that's my PSA about it yeah I think it basically there's a lot of evidence out there or uh, who knows how strong it is it could all be hearsay and people could be making stuff up where did the stuff on reddit come from you know it could be from various sources but um he there he was way more violent and uh sexually devious in a then like the, illegal the, way um, right then the doc lets then the on the doc lets on now to me i think everybody everybody would agree that in a court of law, he got screwed. He was framed everything. Like, just legally speaking, he was completely screwed over. And we haven't talked about Brandon much. We'll get to him in a second. Um, Steven, I, I think, should be a free man, um, without a doubt. But if, when you start thinking about these outside things, I think you can explain things away. You know, like... Teresa was an attractive woman. It's not crazy that he had a crush on her, right? We don't know that he was obsessed with her. I did read that she had, like, a standing appointment with him every, like, Thursday or every, like, and every October 31st or something to take a picture of a car or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he had a crush on her doesn't mean that he killed her, you know? And right. likewise, just because he answered the door wearing a towel only like that's not i mean it's yeah it's scuzzy and weird but he but was like, scuzzy and weird you know yeah and yeah, also right, right, right. just because he um and i don't know if like i don't know is that necessarily indecent exposure like it can't it's it can't be right like well if dudes a can, towel no i mean you have that like, like a show. towel i mean like as long as you're covered right right yeah. the stuff about the molestation the thing about the potential molestation of the kids, you have to remember that Brennan's IQ is 70. Like, who knows? Like, and that's right. not, that was never adjudicated. I can't, I can't say whether it's true or not. It's just, it's just a rumor or just something that this literally mentally retarded kid, teenager, had said, who was very easily easily persuaded to say one thing or another or maybe he you know there was a lot of fighting in their family because an uncle would say oh he does this to you and he might as you saw on camera get coerced by the police to confess this lie you know oh god uh, um, uh. but like you he could have just heard people talk like the adults in the house talking and said oh yeah he did that um so when you take all these as isolated incidents Right. I, I, I can say I still... And I also... I mean, like, listen. Sorry. I'm just going to go back to that for just a second. Um, Regardless of the fact that Brendan is of a lower IQ, like, I can't say that because of that, I can't believe his molestation right. story. Like, I, right. I physically would not feel good with myself to be like, well, you know, I don't really believe you because you're not that smart. <laughs> you know, like... Right. I can't... Yeah. And but so this is the outside kind of um 
more shadiness of Stephen Avery. And there's even more. But even looking at that outside evidence, I want to say that my sympathies lie with him and the nephew. And so in the final parts of the last episode, even the next day when you were watching it and like live messaging me, Mm -hmm. I was like (laughs) reliving that. And I literally got lumps in my throat. Just hearing Stephen, his voice on the phone talk about how now he has to be his own lawyer and he's not a smart guy, you know, he can't, you know, like he submitted this 38 page, you know, brief or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm just going to keep trying. And there was just something in it, hearing him say that, that broke my heart into pieces. And then Brandon's letter to the world. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if your sympathies lie with Steven, I feel like, my sympathies are really only well. well then I would are both. only. Con- I mean, Brandon, like, I keep yeah. losing my mind over that. Is oh so sure, sure, awful. sure. I'm just saying specifically for me, um, my sympathies are 100 percent with Brendan. Like I feel like, God, that's just he just got a super unfair shake. Um, as for Stephen, like, ugh, jury is so out with me on that guy. I just um. I think that the evidence presented in the case clearly is not enough to have convicted him, but I also don't think that um I don't think that I can give him my full sympathy just because cuz he was not a great guy. Because he's not a great guy. I mean, yeah. yeah, so like my sympathies are 100% unfiltered sympathies to Brendan and Stephen's parents. I mean, when they were 20 minutes into episode 4, where you were seeing that awful, awful, awful man force him to write that confession and say, now draw her in draw, Yeah, and then make him draw. Like, okay. First of all, I'm like, I couldn't even draw stuff that he's asking him to draw. I wouldn't know how. Right. But anyways. Yeah. I mean, that same um, that same investigator, investigator, I think, ends up showing up later, um, I think, in either the last episode or the penultimate episode. Yeah. Um, where he taken the stand, they're kind of yeah. they're going back over uh, Brendan Dassey's ineffective use of counsel, right? That's basically what that assi- trial is. Ineffective assistance of counsel, yeah, of counsel. Um, and so yeah, they're kind of going back through yes. it, and this guy starts crying on the stand because he's like, oh, I just keep picturing like the blue ribbon of like so Teresa, weird. like like around Teresa's church and like whatever. And he just starts crying. And I'm like, I don't think you're crying because of like Teresa and her like tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree scenario. (laughs) Like you are crying because you made a dim witted boy literally draw the most horrendous crime scene. You made him draw. Well, you know what? I don't even know if he felt bad about that. I think that he was crying because he's like, shit, I might go to jail I'm going to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get caught. Yeah. I, hate, I think so. Like, I, those men, those like three specific men, I don't blanketly hate people. I mean, there's people that annoy the tar out of me in this world, but uh, <laughs> the tar, the tar, that's a big word. Um, or that's a big hate level of hate. Um, but those men, I have as much hate for them as like Osama bin Laden. <laughs> you know I, I mean it's just yeah I mean it's kind of harrowing to see them sort of like weasel their way around this entire I mean they show up time and time again they are essentially 
the villains of this yeah. docuseries, I mean, right? They, like they show... Detective I, Detective Lank and the and the other guy whose name I can't remember. Um, I mean, and again, docuseries very biased. Um, but they showed they come it up, well. They showed the they did, they showed it very well. So Anytime well. Detective Lank shows up on the on the shows up on the screen, like he's just looking real beady eyed and just like. Uh, like literally like the Wisconsin equivalent of Dick Cheney. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how he comes across, right? Like, yeah, he's just like, I'm this button button down man who does some very evil, evil things. And you're just like, <laughs> Oh my God, this guy, like, I don't want to meet him like in a dark alley. He's going to yeah. accuse me of something real nasty. Yeah. I I'm so glad that there's so much vitriol against them. Um, I just think that they deserve to be publicly shamed. I mean, I'm sure nothing will happen to them. But just this, like, for however long it lasts, they're public shaming online yeah. and probably in person. I mean, they're all getting lambasted right now, yeah. right? It's not just Detective Lank and his crony, but it's also Kent's is getting completely lambasted. Yeah. Well, also um, the entire county is. It, the police yeah. department keeps saying, no, remember, the police department didn't handle it. It was like the... Calumet, Calumet County or whatever no, it's called. No, what, they didn't say it was Calumet City's department. They said it was just like a different law enforcement agency. Like it was the sheriff's department that handled it. And it's like, we don't know the difference between a police department and a sheriff's department. You're all right. law enforcement. You're all the same. Like, and also, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're just trying to distance themselves from it. But it's also like, is that like the difference between like a state trooper and like the county police or like the state police versus the I, city police honestly, like what is that i have yeah. no idea but you right. know like maybe the police were just like the police department were just the people that were just literally hadn't were not framing and were just like we're just here to do like control traffic while this like search goes on or whatever it may be and the sheriffs were the ones who were investigating i don't know but anyways right but it's it's the entire justice system. It was like it's its own wire episode all in one. You know, the last thing we should talk about because we are going long is the journalists. Because I just thought of season four of yes. the wire or season five when it was about the uh, the media, press. the press. Yeah. So yeah. first of all, there was they kept narrowing in on a few different journalists. There was this really pretty yes. woman. There was right. This there really was the one guy handsome, who looks like like. Perfectly coiffed hair, good-looking guy. And my favorite comic book guy, like from The Simpsons, because he looks like comic. Like oh, the was comic there? Was guy. there the? Was there that guy in there too? I don't remember him. Like, oh that yeah, there like was him? like he was like a very he was like a very surly-looking obese man who's always <laughs> sitting down and he's just like scribbling in his notepad, but just like scrutinizing everything. Right. Like, he's like scrutinizing even like his own thoughts as he's writing it down on the notebook. I'm like, man, you are just like. He's just like <laughs> that's what he looks like as he's like scribbling in his notebook. Yeah, they just he was my favorite. I loved whenever we shot to him because he was always like he was like sitting down, but he was also kind of like slouched over. I could be reading Sandman Volume Seventeen. <laughs> I don't have to be sitting here taking notes for this goddamn trial. I'm honestly though, this was like the biggest deal in his life. I'm sure. Who knows? But he's just like we should he's find very out who angry. He is. Yes, he. I, I know he's who you're talking angry. about. Uh, but yeah, so like them showing the journalists was kind of like just I mean, showing we saw them, them playing poker. We saw them playing poker waiting and then we'd see them running down the hall when there'd be an yes. announcement and then you'd see them 
feel like I only see this when I am walking down the street and I see like the local news about to go on and they're like fixing their hair and they're like primping themselves up like where they're like, okay, now we're going to prepare for the shot. But you saw in this documentary, it was just like kind of cool to see them there behind the scenes because (laughs) this was all like the wire but in a docuseries, you know, like you had. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. The only thing we were missing well, is the kids. Kids. And, and the docs. And, and the drugs. <laughs> okay. Maybe it wasn't a wire. But. Um, well, I mean, I mean, if you replaced Avery's salvage with the docs, then like you're kind of close. And then I don't know the kids. Maybe the kid is just like Brendan. Maybe. It's just Brendan <laughs> is like the kids season. And then the press the is schools. the press. But then there's then definitely, the the basically, it's just the law enforcement. I mean, there is, there is going back to the, um, going back to the journalists, mm-hmm. uh, the reporters, there is also like, oh, there is that part where you're just like, oh shit, like you do forget that like, there is a part of being a reporter where you're essentially just a news vulture. Yeah. Right? Like. You're just, like, waiting around, waiting around, waiting around for, like, that new nugget of information. And then it's, like, everyone to the attack, right? Do you know what? I kind of found it as the comic relief of the documentary, actually. Because you would see this, like, crazy testimony or a crazy development that happened in court or something. And then they'd go to the press room. And then you'd see these journalists with these looks on their face where they're completely contorted. And they're like... Are you fucking kidding me? And essentially, you know, and yeah. the way yeah, they would phrase true. it and contort their face and be like, are you out of your mind, you liar? You know, it was it was really I don't know. It provided like a re- because you were so frustrated watching it. They right. They vocalized our anger. It's true. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think a lot of the times whenever they would cut to the press room, I was like, oh, and here's the part of the show where the reporters re- like react as, as we, we are. Would. They were like yeah. our reactions, like our surrogates. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So I, um, it was it was a cool element that they didn't need to bring in. Like they could have just shown. The press conference. Right. like, the- And honestly, to me, I have to say, like, now that you bring it up and now that I'm thinking about it, it is a little bit surprising because, and um, I'm very sorry, Wisconsin, but, like, I think there's a part of me that would have presumed that the press would have been hyper-conservative and uh. been like, burn this guy at the stake. But instead, they were. So kudos to you, reporters in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Um, I think they were, like, they were very, like... Like, I don't know that that I necessarily felt like they were swayed by anything that the state was presenting. I agree with you. I think that they were they were trying to be they did a good job. I mean, it is their job to be objective, but press say what they're going to say. I mean, they're pressing. Of course. I mean, like we're literally living in the age of like liberal media and conservative media. I mean, that's not stuff that we've made up. Those are things that are real. Yeah. Um. And so if that happens on a national level, then your only assumption is that that would occur on a local level as well. Um, And I think it was very surprising to me to see that that was not the case. So that was uh, there was also a glimmer, a glimmer of feel good hope inside of me. Yeah, I was really glad that they were questioning cops framing because, I mean, 
on all the defense crosses, they came straight out and said, like, and, and it was just, it was obviously blatantly obvious you planted this evidence. And so, um, I mean, it was easy for them to pick up on that because it was blatantly stated in court. But um, right, but there is reasonable doubt, and because there is reasonable doubt, that should, I mean, it, beyond a you reasonable know, one doubt, thing we didn't. You know, the one person that we didn't talk about um, yet, ugh, and I kind of feel bad bringing him up now as we should be wrapping up, but um, is the excused juror. Oh, yeah. Um, he is like one of these people that kind of shows up towards the end of the docuseries who is so addled with guilt yeah. uh, about just how everything kind of went down. And, you know, I think it brings a really good uh, point about, and this is like for an entirely another two hours of discussion yeah. is just like juror selection and the way juries kind of come yeah. to a decision um it you know like you're supposed to be objective as a juror but i think that's so hard to do because at the end of the day you're human right yeah. and here is stephen avery who already spent 18 years of his life in jail accused of, like i said before accused of rape despite the fact that he did not commit it so but now he's back in the courtroom and it's hard to, as I think Dean Strang says in the documentary, it's hard to unring that bell. Right. Like, I mean, you're instructed even if, to not, speci- you're specifically instructed to not consider that in your weighing of the evidence. But there's no way you can't, right? I mean, there's going to be and so if, many people that are like, well, but he was accused yeah. of rape that last time. And like, and like in in some people's minds, like the extra, the excuse juror, he said that there were three or four people who were just like, no way, he's guilty, you can't change my mind. For those people, they're going to think about the rape. The other people, they might be able to say, we're not going to think about that. And they might just, right. and they do sometimes properly weigh the evidence. But if you have those people in there who's like, uh-uh, and they can convince everyone else because they just want to get the hell out of there. Right. Oh, um, I, I found something weird about... The victim's brother. I have to agree. <gasps> really? <laughs> I have to agree. I have Not to even agree. the ex-boyfriend. Definitely the ex-boyfriend. Why wasn't he looked at, etc.? But I don't really have anything to say about that. Well, okay. The so this is, that's, well, that's a part that's really weird, right? Is like the only time you see the ex-boyfriend is when he's leading the search committee. Like the documentarians right? don't focus on him, but they keep focusing on the brother. On the brother. Um, and I don't know why... But the brother makes me feel really weird. Yeah. I don't like the brother and I can't tell you exactly why. I mean, he might um, have been like the spokesperson for the family and she, the documentarians tried to get as many family people as possible. My only justification for maybe why he seems so odd is because even when he was talking to the press, I feel like even from the very beginning... um. The brother seemed to me like he had already convicted Stephen in his mind. Yeah. Now, now, hold on. Now, I say that knowing that's his sister that died. I feel like I can imagine that if the cops came by and was like, it was this dude. Right. Then, like, I don't care what you say. Like, yeah, it was that dude. Yeah. And I hate that guy. And I want him in jail. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're bringing to the table, mm-hmm. right? So, 
Yeah, and then I think that there were other parts, too, where he just seemed very cold to me. Like, he was very, like, press prepared. Yes! In a way that I found a little unsettling. Totally! Um, It was so polished. Yeah, he seemed very media polished. And And I'm like, what is your deal? But the thing is, Dip, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that guy does. Like, maybe he works... Maybe he works in media, so he just kind of knows how it works. I don't know. know. I don't know, but there's something like a little too, um, I don't know. I want to say a little too perfect about him. Yeah. Anyway. And and I'm not going to fault someone for not freaking breaking down, you know, two years, four years, five years after this. I mean, God knows what he's gone through. I think anyone listening to this knows that we, like, I feel like such an asshole saying this. But I'm sorry, there was something strange. Okay, so now for real, final thoughts. Um, one, we'll link to this and we'll or tweet this out. But if you want to hear about the woman who was raped in the initial, uh, oh Peggy, Peggy, she does. She was on Radio Lab and talked about first of all her brutal rape up through him getting exonerated. Up through the point where they show in the documentary her. Where they're like hugging each yeah, other. Yeah, where she's like, I'm sorry. She talks about it in a whole Radio Lab episode. And oh, it wow. is so interesting because I never thought about what about that right. victim who misidentified the person and their guilt. And, and then that person yeah, gets whoa. rearrested and she's like, I don't know if I can trust anything in my brain anymore. Right. Oh, my Jesus. Over the oh, course of Jesus. two decades. And. And Gregory Allen, the actual rapist, he went to every single one of Stephen Avery's hearings in the courtroom. Are you serious? Yeah, before he went away to prison. And she found that out. And she was like, that is, oh, my God, unreal. He was a few feet away. My the rapist, real rapist, the real rapist feet away after at every hearing because she went to every single hearing. And it is I'm I'm literally like I'm I'm I've goosebumps it is like literal so listen goosebumps. to we'll tweet that out i mean that radio lab episode is it's fascinating yeah. and it you know what it, it just made me feel in terms of like wrapping it up is there are so which many we're not doing which we're not, which not, we're doing, not doing well um, <laughs> we're not doing well <laughs> but but it but it it just I, my brain can just keep expanding and expanding and expanding with this you know it really does bring to the fore the fact that like crimes don't just it's not just about the victim and the perpetrator like it really yeah. does affect like a whole it does have a ripple effect of, towards a, a whole bunch of people a family community yeah, exactly. the nation the justice right. system like it's like this butterfly effect of of these tiny things as for me one of the key takeaways for this is just like yeah oh, man i don't even know like just it's hard for me to really pinpoint anything specific other than like maybe don't start family brawls <laughs> because you think it someone. all started with that family that's brawl. what it all started from i mean if they if he hadn't had an altercation with his cousin who happened to be married to someone in the law enforcement right of the county of the small county that they live in they wouldn't have started like going after it him. wouldn't have started this whole crazy thing it, i mean it would he would Stephen Stephen Avery have gotten in trouble for something else? Who knows? Right. Who knows? But that's the seedling of yeah. where all of this started. So, 
I mean, you're saying really just don't start family brawls. Try, like, don't forget to say I love you. At Like, if you're fighting, you guys just end the fight at the end of the day. And, that, that's um, so easy. Don't just forget, forget to tell things. your loved ones. Yeah, just forget things and tell your loved ones that you love them. Even if you hate them. Um, even if you hate them. Just so that you don't start brawls because you never know who's connected to whom right. and who could get you framed or fucked over. Just, just watch out. Watch out for yourself. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We appreciate that you're listening to our new podcast. We're really excited about it. And we're going to talk about new shows. Probably big ones. Yeah, there's so much new stuff coming out. Like, oh, so good. The ones that come out all at once on, like, Hulu and Netflix and Amazon. But we'll do other shows, too. And if you want to request a show that we cover, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at theobsessionsessions at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at obsession pod and we'd love if you continued listening to us on serially obsessed about the podcast serial we're in season two at the moment and uh we really thank you for listening we hope you keep tuning in yeah thanks so much guys this has been super fun uh making a murderer wow 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 lots of questions and thoughts oh yeah and tweet us any questions comments or thoughts or email us yeah oh yeah definitely we love getting those and then yeah we'll do something more fun and less weighty for next time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.